We love the next generation here at our church. We prioritize them. They're not an afterthought. And we have a great children's minister. And we've had an amazing youth pastor for the last 15 years, Mike D'Ambra. And he's going to be passing the baton to Chris and Rachel Larkin in just a couple of weeks. And Chris and Rachel are going to be leading the next generation for the next decade or so. And so on September 9th, uh, we are going to let Mike and I and Mark uh, and Hope, we're going to, and Jesse, we're going to lay hands on Chris and Rachel and install them as our new youth pastors. And I just want to, I'll just do it now as a precursor. Mike, thank you so much. Your faithfulness has been amazing. And I want to say that uh, Mike and Mark and myself and my wife and we all uh, recognize this is the Holy Spirit's doing. There's no rift. There's no division. There's no hurt feelings. Nothing like that's going on. This is a God thing. And uh, Mike and Aurelia and the Amber family are still in our church, part of our family. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's the way it ought to be. It's the way it should be done well. And they're going to find a new uh, uh, ministry that God's going to be moving them into. But I just wanted to give a little precursor because um, Mike's already sent an email out to the parents. And I just want to make sure that everybody here at the Gathering Place Church is up to speed on the transition taking place. It's an important transition. And today, um, everybody's graduating up on our campus. Uh, everybody's going up a class. And, and the younger in the elementary, they're going to have a buddy. And the older classes bringing up the younger child into the new class. And they're all doing it together. They're going to have little snacks out back. Not for you guys, but for the parents of the kids. And unless you, well, if you have a parent, if you're a parent with a kid, then it is for you guys, I think. I don't know. I have no idea what they're doing back there. But they're transitioning, and they're going to have cookies and snacks on the backside. But anyway, so with that uh, lousy logistical announcement, I'm going to release the middle school uh, to go to their youth church. The high school stays in. The elementary's out too, but they sh well, they're, they're already out. Also, hey, by the way, if you're not getting my congregational emails, I send out congregational emails. If you're not getting them, you need to make sure that, well, just, just email info at gatheringplacechurch.org, I-N-F-O, info at gatheringplacechurch.org, and Shelly Kalpelson will help you make sure you're getting my congregational emails, because when I communicate to the church, I certainly want you to be getting those, so. You all ready for the word? Yeah. All right, let me get this up, and we are going to roll. Next Sunday, we are uh, really privileged to have one of our missionaries in the house, our missionary from uh, Asia. We call Rick Zachary the Indiana Jones of the kingdom of God. He goes to places nobody goes and nobody wants to go. And he is raised up. He goes into a, a, a town that's 0% Christian. He leads uh, a couple to the Lord. Then he mentors them for like two months solid every day, he and his wife, they install them as pad, they, then they start churches, and they have churches all throughout Pakistan and Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia, and I mean, they, it is just unbelievable. His reports are like, you're making this stuff up. Just incredible. One time he called me up and he said, John, you want to come on a journey with me? He said, you're going to fly 17 hours, and then we're going to take a train for three hours, and then we're going to take a mule for four hours, and then we're going to walk up a mountain for two hours, and I said, no. I'm not doing that. <laughs> to him, it's like just another day in the kingdom of God. It's amazing. So he'll be right here in this pulpit next Sunday morning. You do not want to miss him. 
Uh, so the last couple of weeks, I've been preaching on um, stepping out and taking it to the streets. And that's what God's doing among us here at the Gathering Place Church is taking risks. And I've gotten some reports in that are just great. Now, here's what's beautiful about those reports I'm going to read before we get into uh, jumping back into the book of Romans. The testimony I gave a couple of weeks ago about how I was getting my hair cut at Supercuts and I laid hands on the gal's shoulder who was cutting my hair because her shoulder was hurting and she fell out under the power of God right there at Supercuts and God healed her shoulder and healed her heart and it was just a power encounter right there in the marketplace. Now, when I give testimonies like that, it did happen, God did do it, and those uh, testimonies are possible. But many times what that can do is it makes it unreachable for someone like, well, I, I could never, I would never experience something like that. Well, let me tell you where you begin. You begin by taking small risks. You just step out where you normally wouldn't have. And so I love the testimonies where people are just saying, Pastor John, I stepped out. And I'm going to give you three quick testimonies that came in just this last week. And you're not going to hear somebody falling out into the power of God and getting saved. But what you are going to hear is the average Christian just taking a risk, which makes it tangible and palatable for everybody. So everybody go like this. All right. Okay. Yeah. Inside joke. Sorry. Okay. This one is for from Francisco. He says three more this week. A co-worker asked, and you work at um, General Atomics. So here's in the marketplace, not a church, but at General Atomics. And uh, a co-worker asked, do you pray for people you don't know? And, and Francisco responds, depends on the person. <laughs> and he said, I'm just kidding. He said, yeah. So I prayed for her brother's kidney to be healed and for the favor of God in him, for her husband's post and for her husband's post-war demons, which are real, and for her marriage. I gave her an anointed tissue to place under his pillow. Yeah, so that's taking risks, right? In walking during my break, I chatted with someone and noticed he messed up his hand, and I asked him about it. See, the hurt hand is an invitation for this person to experience the kingdom of God. If you take the risk, you see a cast, you see a hurt wrist, you see whatever, you say, hey, can I pray for you? Very few people will say no when you ask if you can pray for them. You're not saying, do you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of the world? You're not saying that. You say, can I pray for you? It's very soft entry, and, and it's love. They appreciate it. And then if a miracle takes place, whoo, pay dirt. So he says, I noticed his hand, and I asked him about it, and I found out he was still in pain, so I offered to pray uh, and did it. It was something new to him. He said, why would you want to do it? And, oh, you mean now? How? And he explained, well, I'm just going to lay hands on your wrist. I'm going to pray. And he said, oh, okay. And then he said, do it. Pray for my hand. So that's Francisco's activity at work just this last week. So way to step out and take risks, Francisco. <laughs> Mary Paplava on her way home from uh, last week's message says, Sunday afternoon she texts this because Mary doesn't wait around. Hi, John. Driving home from church, I stopped off at Circle K. There was a customer ahead of me. I waited, and when he left, the cashier lady grabbed a white rag and held it to her cheek and then put it down and asked what she could do for me. I made my purchase. Then there was a man behind me, and so when he left, again, I saw her take the rag and put it on her cheek, and I was, at, I was in my car, so I was watching through my car window. I waited until the man left, and I went back in. See? Going back in was the moment, right? Do I drive away? It's inconvenient. Got things to do. I don't want to come off weird. 
No, I'm going back into Circle K because the lady has a rag on her face doing this. Obviously, she's in pain. What is that called? An invitation from Jesus for someone to encounter him. So I walked back in, said, excuse me, are you in pain? She had a throbbing toothache in her lower right, and I asked if I could pray for her. Yes. I reached over, held my hand to her cheek, and indeed it was throbbing. I could feel it. I prayed. The throbbing noticeably reduced. She said thanks, and I blessed her. When I get in the car, I continue to pray that the Lord would restore her tooth and provide funds for repair or extraction. And then she says, living outside the box. And then Friday night, Hope and I were having dinner with Mike and Liz Williams, and Liz says she had a very vivid dream for a friend that was pretty profound. And she was like, should I send an email to my friend about this dream I had or not? I don't want to come off weird. I don't know what she'll think about it. And she said, because of the messages we've been hearing, I'm just going to do it. And she sent that email, and I texted her this morning saying, have you heard back from your friend yet? Because I don't report you. She said, I haven't heard back yet, but I'm looking forward to that report coming in. See, this is the key to seeing God move in your life. This takes boredom out of Christianity. It takes away all sorts of lethargy and mediocrity and not being excited about God. When you step out to pray for people who may or may not know God, who have any kind of need in their life, you see God move through you. And that causes your walk with God to get pretty darn excited. Amen? So keep sending your testimonies in to me because I want to read them every Sunday. I want to hear new uh, testimonies of just simply take, uh, taking a risk and stepping out. And then we're going to start seeing answers start coming in. I promise you. You start doing the risk taking, we're going to start seeing a wave of testimonies coming in because Jesus goes with you to the ends of the earth. So today, I took two weeks off to bring the word of the Lord that I just was talking about. But now we're going to go back into the book of Romans and we are going to jump Back into this book, as Chris says, is more exciting than we even realize. All right, let's pray, family. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to what you're saying to us through the Apostle Paul, anointed by the Holy Spirit, so that we can see what you're saying to us now in the 21st century, the church in 2018. Help us to glean truths out of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 today. And help me with a miraculous teaching gift to teach three chapters out of the book of Romans in one message. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to teach chapter 9, 10, and 11 today. All right. You guys ready? Chapter 9 is about Israel's past. And that is God's chosen people. Chapter 10 is about Israel's present, which is right now today in 2018, which is the Jews in the large part have rejected Jesus. And the Gentiles are chosen. Now, not all Jews have rejected Jesus, obviously, because on the day of Pentecost, the first sermon preached, 3,000 Jews got saved. And there are Jews that are coming to Christ uh, in large numbers, but the entirety of the Jewish uh, race is going to have an encounter with Christ in God's sovereign timing that is going to be a sweeping in of the Jews into the kingdom of God through Jesus. And then chapter 11 is about Israel's future, where Israel accepts Christ as the Messiah. So chapter 9, the, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is talking about Israel's past. Chapter 10, what's happening right now with Israel. And then chapter 11, about their future. He's writing to two audiences 
and that is the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church. And under these three uh, umbrellas, this framework, are three main themes that I want to hit today. I'll say the first main theme that the Apostle Paul writes is compassion for the lost. Let's read this in Romans chapter 9. Crack open the first chapter here. We're going to read 1 through 5. I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. I want to stop right there for a second. This is the key. We're going to look at this. We're going to camp on this for a moment in just a moment. This is the key to evangelism right here. It's not winning arguments. It's not winning theological debates. It's not my religion is right and your religion is wrong. That, that is not the heart of God. The world is lost. How many of you have ever had to use a GPS to get someplace? Just raise your hand, right? Okay. Jesus is the only GPS that can get a person to heaven. It's not something we are to debate or argue about. It's just the truth. How many of you have ever used the GPS and it, she, they, whoever's on that software, whatever it is, was wrong and they sent you to the wrong place? Raise your hand. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, many people in the earth, see, see, as human beings... We were created by God, for God, to know God and walk with God. So we know internally, the Bible says God has put eternity in the hearts of human beings. We know there's something more than this. We know there's something beyond. Even in our scientific, western, uh, methodological uh, hemisphere and atmosphere, even though we will deny it, deep down we know it's true. Even an atheist will, atheist will cry, oh my God, when they're about to get into a car accident. It's deep inside of us. We know there's something beyond. And so man creates these religions to try to reach and connect with God. And so they're using the wrong GPS systems to reach heaven. And Jesus says, I am the only GPS system. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. But the Apostle Paul has got the heart of Christ pumping through his veins. That's why he can write this with the right heart toward the lost. He says this again, I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit what I, that I have a great sorrow, great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory of God that came upon Israel in the Old Testament, the covenants with God, the giving of the law through Moses, the service of God and the house of God, the promises of God, of whom are the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came through the Jewish nation, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. By the way, if anybody 
is wondering where it says that Jesus is God. We looked at that through the gospel. We saw him, Jesus, say it himself over and over and over. But right here it says, very plainly, Christ who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. But the Apostle Paul is talking about his deep compassion. He's vexed deep in his heart because he was being accused because he was a leading Jew. He murdered Christians because he thought it was a false religion and that it was an insult to Judaism. And then Christ, the resident Christ, appears to Paul. Paul's completely transformed. He realized, I was wrong. Now he becomes the great apostle of the church, and the Jews have rejected him. So now he's the apostle to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. You and I, the dogs, is what we were called. And so the Jews have rejected Paul, and they think Paul does not care about the, the history and the heritage of Judaism anymore, and the Jewish people. And Paul says, no, you got it all wrong. I care about you now more than ever, because I know the truth. You're lost. Now, I've been counseled not to use the word lost anymore. I've been counseled to take it out of our our website and off of our, and not use that terminology because it's because it can be offensive to those who are quote not outside of Christ or have not yet come to Christ, the pre-Christian to call them lost. But I just want to say no. I'm not going to stop using that term because Jesus used it. Jesus used it. He called it the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and he said the Son of God has come to seek and save that which is. So we like to soften it and change it so we don't offend people. And, you know, and say, well, it's just not God's best. No, it's lost. Because the truth is, if we water down a person's lostness, then they do not have the revelation, the knowledge that they need to be found. Anybody ever been lost before, like really lost? You ever been lost in a dangerous part of town before? I have. It's scary, isn't it? Well, it is scary to be separated from God for eternity. See, our problem, I believe, is indifference. We just don't have the heart of God gripping us about the reality of what happens when it's all over. If it was not that big of a deal, Jesus would not have left heaven and come down and been slaughtered on a cross for our sins. If it's not that big of a deal, all of Jesus' first followers would have bailed on him and said, forget it, man. It's not worth being tortured and martyred for the lost. Everybody's going to be okay. It's not that big of a deal. That is the biggest, fattest lie from the pit of hell. And I believe when we water it down, we take the urgency out of our own hearts toward those we see in the gym and we're working out that may be far from Christ or from our classmate sitting right next to us or a co-worker sitting right next to us. We've got to, we've just got to get rid of all of our inhibitions, our fears, all of our indifference, all of that kind of stuff because Jesus is depending on us. The church, the army of God to share the good news with a lost and dying world. You bored with your Christianity? When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? And maybe even got a little persecuted for it. That'll, get a, that'll make it a little more exciting. 
Because what happens is when you step into the fray and you risk a friendship or your reputation, when you risk it for them and for Christ, I tell, I'll tell you exactly what happens because it happens to me every time. The presence of Christ comes upon you because now you're about what he's about. Souls. And the Spirit of God comes on you. And boldness comes on you. And wisdom flows through you. And guess what? Maybe even a miracle. Because miracles are God's calling cards. It's the proof that what my servant is telling you right now is true. Like the gal that was cutting my hair, and I laid hands on her to heal her shoulder, and she hit the ground in supercuts. Well, you know how easy it was to lead her to Christ after that? That was Jesus saying, I am real, come to me. So Paul has this power of Christ gripping him. So this is where we need to begin, is compassion. And I want to say that this is not something we can self-produce. Obeying the Great Commission is our job. It's our calling. It's our duty. I, I share my faith with people for two reasons. One, because it's the Great Commission, our co-mission. That means we are partnering with Jesus. Secondly, because I really believe that people that Jesus is the only way, and I want to see people go to heaven. But it's not always this kind of passion and conviction and continual grief in my heart. There are a couple people in my life I do feel this for, and they're people I love very much, and that makes a difference. Paul loved his people very much. But Jesus loves everybody. And when you feel his heart, I'm telling you, it's overwhelming sometimes when he allows you to feel his heart for the lost. One time I went on a 10-day fast because I just really wanted to live with the heart of God. I didn't want to live shallow and, and spiritually weak and indifferent. I said, God, you've got to do this in me because God's the source of revival for, our, for us individually, corporately, nationwide, worldwide. God is revival. He's the source of revival. We can't make revival happen. No preaching creates revival. The Holy Spirit is the source of revival. So when I feel dry and two-dimensional, and then different, I go to God and say, God, touch my heart. So I went on a 10-day fast one time, and on, on the 10th day, he, I mean, I felt his heart open up in my heart. And I mean, people could tell me the smallest little thing that is, that is an angst in their life or sorrow in their life, and I would feel it like this in my heart. And I told the Lord, I said, stop. Stop. I can't function like this. You can't live like this took it away and said so I was caught between wanting it but not wanting it but I got to feel what God feels for the human race especially for the lost I want you and I to pray for that if you if you're courageous enough before we leave here today Paul goes on in chapter 10 we're going to jump to chapter 10 we're going to go back to 9 we're going to jump to 11 chapter 10 he goes on with the same theme about uh, sharing the loss. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ in the end, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Not Christ isn't the end of the law for us to learn how to live healthy in life, like thou shalt not steal, kill, commit adultery, honor your mom and your dad, have no other God besides me. That's the law. That's still intact, but not for our salvation. Of course, we can't throw out the law of God for daily living because it is how we live ethically and morally and treat each other right. But for salvation, you and I cannot be saved by our good works, is what he's saying here. He says, Christ is the end of salvation through good works. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith, everybody say faith. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Don't say in your heart who's going to go to heaven and bring Christ down from above. Who's going to go into the abyss and bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. In other words, he's saying the way that people come to Christ now isn't for Christ to have to come down from heaven and talk to your friends about him or for Christ to come up from the dead and talk to your friends about him. He says the way that your friends will come to Christ is through the word that you share with them. That's the vehicle of salvation. The Bible says that the message of Christ is the power of God. It's the power of God. This simple little phrase that a child can say, Jesus died for your sins, and then he rose from the dead. And if you receive him as your Savior, your sins will be forgiven, and you will go to heaven. That is the gospel message. I just gave you a Ph.D. in systematic theology. That's all you need to know. That's it. By the way, if you didn't know, he had to make it as uncomplicated as possible because he's depending on us. And he said that little message carries within it the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes it. You and I can't help whether somebody believes it or not, but we certainly are responsible to give the message. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so he says this in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, this is the person that you're sharing your faith with, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart, that God raised them from the dead, you will, not might, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. He's talking to Jewish and a Greek audience. There's no distinction anymore. For, all, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Thank you, Lord, you are so good. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look what he says here. How then shall I call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And don't think of me when you hear the word preacher. He's talking to you. It means somebody who tells the, the message of the gospel. How will they hear without somebody telling them? And how will they, how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. Look down at your feet for a second. Just look down at your feet. Are they pretty or are they ugly? If you haven't been sharing the gospel, they are ugly, man. They got little bunions on them and warts and just nasty, just smell. But if you're sharing the gospel, you look down, I got some beautiful feet. 
goodness, those things look good. They smell good. Yeah, those are beautiful feet. The Bible says those who share the gospel have beautiful feet. They bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So our problem, again, is indifference. And our solution is the Holy Spirit giving us eyes and the heart of Jesus. So before we move on from this point, I want us to, I want us to pray and ask the Lord. Because we're, we're, we're an impartation church, right? Not just an information church, but the presence of God. One day Jesus is going from village and village and town to town preaching the gospel. And then he looked, he lifted his eyes and he saw a crowd of people, multitudes. And he saw them. And it says he was moved with compassion. What do you see when you see lost people? What do you see, what do you feel when you see a crowd, especially when you need to get somewhere? Irritation, <laughs> aggravation, frustration. Yeah, me too, I know. We got to get the heart and the eyes of Jesus. Another place where Jesus talks about meat, where people say, well, I'm not getting fed, you know, I need the meat. Well, you know what Jesus said when his disciples says, hey, pastor, eat, eat, eat some meat. And he said, no, my meat is to do the will of God. And then he said, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes and see what I see. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He said, lift your eyes and see people the way I see them. The lost. Feel my heart of compassion for them. So let's just take a moment and let's ask God. Let's ask Jesus, if you're bold enough and courageous enough. Are you ready? You want to pray this with me? You want to go to him with me right now? Let's ask him. Come on. This is a Holy Spirit thing. This is a supernatural thing. Okay, now pray a dangerous prayer right now. Ask him. Say, Lord, school's about to start. I'm going to see my classmates. I'm going back to work tomorrow morning. I got my neighbors. I got family members that annoy me. That aren't saved. Right now, say, Lord Jesus, I need your heart. Pray it and mean it. He'll do it, I promise you. Lord, give us your heart. Fill our heart with compassion. Lord, I'm asking you, I'm giving you permission to take over my eyes and to take over my heart. Now, I'm going to wait for a moment because you've got to pray this and you've got to mean it. It's got to be real. And if you are real, God will do it. Lord, I give you my eyes and my heart. Now say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission and I'm asking you, please fill my heart with the heart of Christ for the lost and give me divine spiritual sight for people that I know that don't know you. And now ask him, and I mean this, ask him, give me opportunity, Lord. Give me opportunity to share about you with them, to pray for them, and I will obey. So I'm going to pray for all of us. Lord, I pray now that you would baptize this church in the, in the eyes and the heart of God. Jesus, we're asking for a baptism of fire. We're asking for a baptism of your love to overwhelm our human selfish hearts and give us the heart and the divine 
heart of God. Lord, we ask you to burn us deep in our spirit and our soul and our minds, God. Grip us, I pray. Grip us, God. Grip us, God. Don't let us be selfish and in the ark all by ourselves, Lord, while the world drowns and goes to hell. Grip us, God, I'm asking you. Grip us. Grip us, God, with the love and compassion of heart of Jesus so we're not left religious, just automatons and peons, just rote churchgoers. Let us feel what you feel, God. See what you see. That's chapter 9. Okay. Chapter 9, we're going to go again. Now, verse the second point I want to make about this, and I'm going to be quick on this one. Oh, i got to stop for a second. I just really sense the Holy Spirit doing something right now. I want us to back up for a moment. I want you to ask you to close your eyes. God's giving us divine sight right now. This is happening right now. The Holy Spirit is doing this. Just close your eyes. And the Holy, ask the Holy Spirit this question. And he's going to do it. Lord, show me right now one person, the one person that you want me to begin praying for. Just close your eyes, and he's going to put that person right in your face. I see mine. Now begin praying for that person right now, just for a moment. Come on. Jesus said, my house will be known as a house of prayer. Begin to pray for that person right now. Lord, I pray for the person you just gave to me, and I'm asking that you open their eyes to the gospel. I pray you give me opportunity, and I promise I will obey it, God. We pray against the enemy, Lord, trying to stop and hinder access to that person. Lord, we pray your salvation upon that person now. Give us opportunity. Give us access. Give us a place, God, to meet and to talk, share about the gospel. Now come against the enemy. The Bible says if somebody doesn't believe the gospel, it's because Satan has blinded their minds so they cannot believe. So pray against the enemy right now. I mean, take this person seriously. Jesus has given them to you. Lord, we pray against the enemy right now. We pray against the enemy, the devil, who blinds people's minds so they cannot receive or believe the gospel. And we say, no, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pull you down. Lord, we now ask that you pull the blinders off of this individual and that they would believe the gospel when we share it with them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And that's how you do it. Partner with the Holy Spirit. He'll show you people. And then he will set up an opportunity. And you'll share your faith with them. And many of them will get saved. And you'll go, woo! And heaven will go, woo! And the devil in hell will go, Yeah, that's how it works. All right. Okay, here's what I'm going to do very quickly. Number two is salvation is by proclamation, not pedigree. And that simply is Paul saying that you uh, aren't saved just because your mom and daddy are saved. You're not saved just because you were born into a religion. That salvation comes by personal confession of Christ as Savior. That's point number two. I'm going to jump right past that. And we're going to go to the last point, which is... Um, What's the last point? I did that on purpose, just, just so I could hear you say it. No. God is in charge. God is in charge. Boy, Romans 9, 10, especially Romans 11. Woo! 
man. This is a wrestling match between us and God. It's always about authority in the earth. We do not like being under authority. We don't like somebody else telling us what to do. We don't like our parents doing it. We don't like our bosses doing it. We don't like our coaches doing it. We don't like the government doing it. We don't like the police doing it. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. We are independent creatures and we're rebellious at the core of our being. And Satan loves it because he is the chief rebellious spirit. So whenever you submit to authority, you're submitting to God. And that releases heaven on earth into your life. So submission to authority, as hard as it is, is a blessing to you. And, it is, and it's a curse to the enemy. And it honors God. And so, and Mark's going to be teaching on this in Romans 13. Paul talks about this specifically. Um, but here in Romans chapter 11, it is so offensive to us to read Romans chapter 11. Because it, it, it well, let's read. Let's go, I'm going to start in Romans chapter 9. In verse 10 through 24, and I want you to see what I'm talking about. Uh, Verse 9, Romans 9. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by by one man, even by our father Isaac, the children were not yet being born. Now watch how offensive this is to us. Nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand not of works, but of him who calls... It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, first I want to say that this word hate here, I know this really trips some up about can God hate, and why would God hate? This is not the human emotion of hate. You have to understand the terminology here and the place and the time that was written in the culture. He's talking about one I have chosen, one I have not chosen. He's talking about the one I'm choosing for the blessing to come through the line. That's like when Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. Now, we know that Jesus would not tell us to hate our parents, right? Or to pluck out your eye if it offends you. He really doesn't mean go get a a spoon and, you know, pop your eyeball out of your head. What he's talking about here is that he's prioritizing Jacob over Esau. That's what he means by that. But the thing is, is that he says, without either one of them doing good or bad, neither one of them, uh, you know, had a chance to qualify. God just choose uh, the way that God wants to do it. Now look at verse 14 through 18. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but God who shows mercy. For the scripture says, Regarding Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I may show power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. And I've heard, and forgive me for saying this about other teachers of the word, and maybe they're right, I don't know, but this is what I believe. I've heard people try to soften this and say, well, no, God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I don't believe that. I, I read right here. That God hardened Pharaoh's heart because God wanted to use Pharaoh as a backdrop for him to show his power. And if that wasn't true, then why would he go on to say, um, was it unfair for God to do this? Is there unrighteousness in God? He says, heck no. Moses says about God, I'll have mercy on whoever I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whoever I'll have compassion. 
In other words, God gets to do whatever God wants to do. And who are we to tell him what he's allowed and not allowed to do? How many of you parents have ever had a child say, that's not fair? Just raise your hand. Have you ever heard that before? Like every parent's hand is going up. That's not fair. Right? They're challenging your justice system in their life. But there's a couple things going on here. Number one, you've known them since the day they were born. You know who they are and what they're like. You know what's going on in their present life and that they are anywhere between one-year-old and 18 years old, right? So you know where they are on their growth continuum and their ability to know what the heck is going on. And you also know what's going on in their future and what the world's really like and what they're about to run into, which is reality, right? When they leave the bubble of provision and protection and all that, right? And so you know, most of us know, at least we think we know, what we are doing. And so we say, this is the way it's going to be. I hate you. Bam, the door slams, right? I love this. One parent told me the other day, their teenager slammed the door. So they took the door off the hinges. I said, that's my door. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, uh, the person that said amen is the one that did it. But I actually had two parents tell me this week they did. I said, are you serious? You did that? I heard another parent did that. Took the door right off the hinges. Pop, 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 pop. My door. Just walked away with the door. Can't slam that anymore. Right? Because of this fairness issue. Look, we do this with God. We shake our fist. That's not fair! Well, here's the truth. We were all going to hell. He does not owe us an explanation, and he does not owe us mercy. But out of his great compassion, he has had mercy on us. Or, have you ever had a child talk to you about your dealings with another sibling? Well, here's what I think you ought to do with this situation. Or, that's not fair because you, with them or with me, right, and you compare. Remember the time that Jesus restored Peter and forgave Peter? Peter should have just been like, oh my God, thank you. I denied you at your darkest hour, and you're restoring me and telling me I can go on to be an apostle? Oh, man. Oh, my. Thank you. No, he didn't do that. You know what he did? What about John? And Jesus said, what if I let him live until I return, my second coming? And so then they went out and reported that John wasn't going to die. Paul goes on to say in verse 20, and we're going to come to a close here in just a couple moments, and we're going to worship a little bit. Verse 20, but indeed, oh man, who are you to reply against God in verse 20? Will the thing formed say to the thing that formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump, he makes one vessel for honor and one for dishonor. Well, that's not fair. Well, God didn't ask you. What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. 
you might say, well, then I guess it really doesn't matter what I do then if God's sovereign. That's not true. I tried that one time. And uh, I decided since God's going to do what God's going to do no matter what, I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped praying. I stopped resisting unholy desires. When I was in my early 20s, I thought, you know, God, you know, God already knows my future. He knows if I'm going to sin or not sin. So really, it's not about me. It's about him. I'll tell you what, I did that for one week. And it was a disaster. And I went back to the Lord and I said, okay, how does this work? And he simply said, I've given you an assignment. And you're responsible for that assignment. I've given you my armor, which means you're in a battle and you better fight or you'll get your brains beat out. And that was the day I realized, thank God, I came upon this in my early 20s. I realized I don't understand the big majesty and sovereignty and orchestration of Almighty God. I don't understand all these big thoughts like Job got into a conversation with God, right? And you read the book of Job, and boy, does he get, does he get, does he get adjusted. God says, where were you when I slung the universes into existence? And Job is like, okay, okay, okay. And God says, no, you're going to hear the whole speech. Where were you when I created Leviathan, the great sea monster? And he had to stand there and listen to the whole speech, you know. <laughs> like when, my, when I go off and my kids are like, oh, God, here comes the speech. Right? right? I'm going to get the whole speech out. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Thank you. So what I learned was I'm going to be held accountable on the day I see him face to face. Not for all the big theological things that only God understands, but I'm going to be responsible for my life and the call God put on my life and what I did with it. And so are you. And you're not going to be able to say, well, I, 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 I didn't serve you, and I didn't worship you, and I didn't submit to your authority, and I didn't share my faith, and I didn't tithe, and I didn't do, you know, love my, and I didn't forgive because you are unfair, because I didn't understand this, because of that thing that happened to me. None of that's going to be sufficient. None of it. God has called you and I to do what he's called you and I to do. And that's between you and the Lord. Your responsibility is to submit to him and to obey. And if you will do that, your day of reckoning is going to be awesome. Because there's going to be a reward ceremony where Jesus hands you rewards for how you served him in the earth. Can I hear an amen? So, some of you, this has really struck your heart in a place of pride and rebellion. I'm telling you, if you will submit to God right now and turn from your anger at God, your unforgiveness of God, really the arrogance 
that we can even be mad at God or tell him what to do. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is you're going to have your peace restored in your life. Secondly, you're going to find joy in your heart. You're going to find enormous faith. You're going to find incredible boldness and courage in life because you're not resisting God anymore. And God's Father's presence is going to be on you. And you're going to walk with such confidence. And I'll tell you this too. And this is what I found. And I'm going to close with this. I found when I don't understand something, this is so good and so important. This is from the Holy Spirit. This was not in my notes. I found when I have not understood a dealing of God in my life, and I just submit to him and say, you are Lord and I am not. Your, your word, be it unto me according to your word. I'll, I'm just going to worship you anyway. I have found that when I submit to him, Many times he explains it to me. See, it's that rebellious thing. God says God resists the rebellious, the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. It's when we decide, I don't understand what happened, God. I don't understand how you could let that happen to me. I don't understand where you were and where you weren't. I don't understand about this or that, but forgive me for telling the potter what to do. I'm just going to humble myself. Some of you need to do that right now. You do that, and the presence of the Lord is going to come upon you. And many times, he'll end up explaining it to you. And you'll say, oh, my gosh, you are like, wow. Now I see. Come on, let's, get, let's come to the Lord together. For many of you in here today, I believe by the Holy Spirit that you have a lot of question marks in your head and in your heart about God and God's dealings. And as the Apostle Paul ended chapter 11 with a doxology, he was so overwhelmed with the sovereignty of God, so far beyond us, that he just began to say, oh, the depth, the depth of the knowledge and wisdom of God is beyond searching out and understanding. And he just began to worship. I'm going to ask you this morning, I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to call you to take those question marks about God's dealings and in humility lay them down and ask God to forgive you for contending with him and just say your will be done your will be done I also believe the Holy Spirit wants me to say this to you and it's really important that you hear this I hear the Lord saying, tell them you can trust me. That's what chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about, is the sovereignty of God. That God knows what he is doing with your life. When it's all said and done, you'll see it and you'll say, oh my God. 
you were at work all the time and I was wrestling around shaking my fist and questioning I knew what you were doing all the time I know there's some pain and hurt in some of you you just have to lay it down it's, it's ruining your life trust him he's in charge he's in charge
Oh, see. 